You've been sold the idea that financial independence is all about some number on your account statement, or even worse, that you don't qualify because of where you started out. That's just not true. It's not about some well-kept secret of the wealthy. It's about finding the right information and knowing how to apply it. On the Get Ready for the Future show, we're answering your questions so you can start making real financial change today. The journey to true financial independence begins right here, and it starts with you. Here to help people discover, protect, and share true financial independence. It is the Get Ready for the Future show. Welcome aboard. Scott Inman along with John Shrewsbury. It is our first show of the month of September. Fall is hopefully soon going to be in the air. Football season got started, John. We're, we're feeling like we're coming out of a summer season and into the fall. We just need a little bit cooler yeah. temperatures here in the natural state in Arkansas. But Things are changing, that's for sure. There's always change. Yeah. Always change. And, it, and it's hard to believe, I, 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 and I say this every time we finish a month, but it is the ninth month of 2023, and what a difference 2023 has been uh, from 2022. We, yes. we have definitely enjoyed the uh, performance of the stock market uh, much better in this year than we did last. Uh, and in fact, that's kind of where our jumping off point is going to be as we answer your questions today and every day. On the Get Ready for the Future show, if you've got one, you can call or text them to us at 501-381-5228. That's 501-381-5228. You can leave a voicemail or you just shoot us a text and you can possibly hear your question answered right here on our show. You could also send us an email if you prefer to do it that way. Show at GetReadyForTheFuture.com. First up today, it's John from Russellville, not John Shrewsbury, but John from Russellville Ask. You're not from Russellville. No, that's from right. uh, Bryant. I've reportedly heard this year that the market is crazy right now or that it sucks while it's up almost 20% year to date, at least when I'm writing this. How will I know if the market ever really is crazy if the news is always like this? And how do I know what to do if and when that happens? Great question, John. Confusion abounds when you get the headline generation or the headline uh, of the of the newscast of the social media post there's always an intention grabbing headline and it is built from you know years past decades past you heard that saying if it bleeds it leads yep and this is not bleeding other than bleeding away gains in the stock market if they're putting it that way but basically the concept of that saying is is that bad news sells in in the media and i think this it's true in the financial services industry as well well, and I believe that things are rarely as good or as bad as you hear that they are. And when the market's on a tear, everybody's like, oh, we got to get the market out. And here's the thing. Financial independence is not based on how you react to something. Financial independence is about having a plan, sticking to that plan and staying with it, regardless of what may be going on around you. And I think that that John here is hearing a lot of coffee shop talk and things of that nature. And look, you can hear anything these days. If you pick up your phone and and just, you know, go on the Internet, you can find validity for almost any line of thought, uh, somewhat validity. But <laughs> but, you know, I think the, the point here, Scott, is that uh, nobody really uh, is needing to be reactive to all of these little things that you hear uh, here and there, wherever you may hear them from, uh, reaction to something is really not going to get you further down the road to financial independence. And if you if you stipulate that that's what we're trying to do, then you probably don't need to listen to 99.9% yeah. of that stuff. 
If it is that you're trying to be smarter than your buddy at the Waffle House or something like that, then okay, play that game, but you're probably not going to be financially independent. I, I just think that that it's one of those things, and, and we don't know exactly how old John is, but mm-hmm. I, I know that that if he is putting money in the market on a regular basis, mm-hmm. it's actually good right. for him in the terms of dollar cost averaging. If the market goes down, he has the ability to buy additional shares. Now, that's not a guarantee of performance. It's not going to protect against a loss or anything of that nature, but it just stands to reason. It's the old cow story that we used to tell all the time, Scott, that buying shares when they're cheap actually uh, works out better if the market rebounds and like it normally has then you will actually build wealth that way. Yeah, we break it down for investors into two phases. You're either in the accumulation phase or the distribution phase, right? The accumulation phase is your pre-retirement. You are building wealth and trying to be in a growth mode. And like John was talking about, if John is younger, that's likely where he is. And if you think about it from that term, your account value is not your focus. Your focus is accumulating shares of whatever type of investment you are purchasing. And that means the more shares, the better, right? And if the market goes back up, which historically it has, during a dip, it comes back up. If that happens, then you're going to have more shares and your account value will over the long term go up. Now, obviously, if you're in the distribution phase, that's a different story and you need a diversified strategy and a retirement income plan, which is what we work with our clients. And then the bridge between, right? If you get into the retirement red zone, which is 10, five to 10 years out from your uh, projected retirement date, then you need to start making some changes to that growth strategy, we would say. But I think to your point, you know, back to the the, the media part of that, we, we pride ourselves all the time, John, on talking about on this show that we are giving you straight talk. The, the, it's just the facts, right? Yes. We, we're, we're not really bringing you uh, any, any flash, any uh, desire to give you a, a fear-mongering headline. It is just the truth. And we do a piece every Friday that goes to people's email inbox called the fastest four minutes in finance. And if you'd like to sign up for that, it's all about uh, markets, what could impact your money, all types of diversified topics that we cover, retirement topics, investment topics. You can text the word fast to 501-381-5228 to get that, to sign up and get that delivered to your email inbox. And what we do every week is we talk about the economy and we talk about the probability of recession, how much the market may be down at any given time. And, and it is a microcosm. Yes. But it, so it is good to be educated, but you shouldn't make long-term decisions based on what's happening in the short term. And we've got a great chart that kind of helps bear that out. Yeah, Scott, let's, let's kind of set the stage here. I think that, first of all, the motivation or the desire to understand maybe something that's going on that causes the market to be crazy or whatever the case may be, I think the motivation is that you want all the cards stacked in your favor. Well, here's how you stack all the cards in your favor. And let's take a look at this chart. And if you're listening on radio, you can actually go to our Facebook page and find this chart. But here's what the chart basically says. In any given day, there is a about a 53% chance, I believe that says, I mm-hmm. get my glasses on here, uh, 53% chance that you're going to have a positive return in the S&P 500. Coin flip. Any, yeah. any, any one day, it's a yeah, coin flip. It is absolutely a coin flip. Let's jump out to any given year. 
in any given year, there's about a 77% chance that you will have a positive return in the S&P 500. All of this is based on past performance of the S&P 500 since 1937. So these are, are pretty well-established statistics that we're going through here. If you go out five years, there's a 92% chance of a positive return. And if you go out 10 years, there's a 97% chance of a positive return. At GenWealth, you know what we do in terms of equity investments. They are not to be touched for at least 10 years, oftentimes 15 years. And so what we're trying to do is stack all the cards in your favor by uh, arranging your investment portfolio and the sequence in which we access the accounts that we're accessing for your income, then the equity accounts are going to be accessed 15, 20, 25 years down the road. And that and the performance between here and there really is irrelevant because over time, you have a greater and greater opportunity for a positive return if you're investing in the market. And that's really what you need to, to latch on to. And Scott, I know that's not you know, uh, headline grabbing. It's not, as I like to say, it's not sexy information. It's not anything that's, it is just straight talk. These are the facts. If you want to know the facts, if you want to know what's going on, this is what happens in the market in the long term. And this plays out regardless of whether we're having a recession or not having a recession, whether the market is going crazy or the market's going straight up. These facts are almost immutable because that's the history of the S&P 500. Yeah. And, you know, for clarity's sake, what does matter is the types of equities you may be in over a shorter time period. There may be a a certain sector of the economy that does well for a 12 to 18 month run. So management matters. Yes. But not coming out of the market, not trying to time the market, not trying to go, I'm going to sit on the sidelines and wait and see, right? Because you don't know what's going to happen as that chart bared out over any single day, over a three-month period, over one year. The longer term you're in it, overall, history says you will do well. Now, let me give the caveat for our compliance folks. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all investing involves some risk. And so there is the possibility that those probabilities don't play out. But if I'm going to to stake my claim on something, it's not going to be some rumor that I hear down at the Waffle House or, or wherever you hang out to get coffee or whatever the case may be, or what your buddy at the water cooler at work tells you about what's happening in the market. I'm going to base it on what history has told me the behavior of the market is, and then I'm going to apply that knowledge to my portfolio and use it accordingly. Yeah, one more thing before we move on to the next question. You know, the, we're very fond of saying that even the brightest minds don't get the market right over a short term, right? right. I, 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 we were talking about the market being crazy. You still hear those talks about recession. I just read earlier this week that Goldman Sachs has downgraded their chance of a recession over the next 12 months, now down to 15%. At the beginning of the year, it was like 60 Right. So they've taken a look at things. And as we've gone, they've realized they were wrong. Right. Yep. So a short term prediction doesn't even really wind up very successful from the brightest minds uh, out there. Well, thanks, John, for your question. And if you have one for us, again, you can call or text them to us. Anything that's on your mind about investing, about retirement, about Social Security, whatever's on your mind, send it to 501-381-5228. 
That's 501-381-5228. You can leave a voicemail or you can shoot us a text. Helping people discover, protect, and share true financial independence and answering your questions on the Get Ready for the Future show. Time for a second question from Michelle. She writes from Fayetteville, I just technically became a millionaire. There is no secret sauce. I just started investing early and bought a house that shot up in value recently. So we're talking about net worth here in terms of millionaires. So not liquid net, not, not liquid net worth. All my money is tied up in retirement accounts in the house. So I don't really feel like a millionaire, but I know that I'm building generational wealth. My question is, where do I go from here? Michelle, thanks very much. You know, that's a great, great question. Many people who we work with are millionaires, John, and I don't think they feel like a millionaire either. Well, yeah, you're right. And, and Michelle, living in Fayetteville, I can understand that that housing market in northwest Arkansas is incredibly hot. And so that's helped a lot. But I think that the, the question that I would ask Michelle is, what does a millionaire really feel like? <laughs> if it's uh, running around spending money left and right, I got news for you, Michelle. That's not how millionaires behave. Most millionaires that we work with basically are very conservative. They keep it as opposed to spend it. That's how they became a millionaire. That's how they stay a millionaire. Now, can they spend some of it? Sure. But it is really a misnomer uh, about feeling like a millionaire. You know, if you're driving some fancy car or are living in a fancy house, you might look like a millionaire, but a lot of people look like a millionaire, but don't feel that way. And I, I, I don't think financial independence is about a feeling. Mm. It's about substance. We're really talking about wealth, right? Yes. What is wealth? And I've told my kids many times when they look at somebody who drives a fancy car or has a big house that they think they are rich, or that's just another word for them believing that they are wealthy. And the reality is that means they have a big mortgage or a big car payment more than likely, right? Because that buying stuff does not equal wealth. What Michelle from Fayetteville is doing, that is wealth. She has technically become a millionaire. may not feel like a millionaire, but she has to kind of go back and determine what does a millionaire feel like. And we can tell you what a millionaire looks like because there have been studies on it. Yeah, uh, Lots of books written. I go back to the 90s, The Millionaire Next Door. Uh, most recently, uh, Dave Ramsey's uh, crew has written a book and they did a study, in fact, that they found out of 10,000 millionaires, eight out of 10 invested in their company plan, right? An yep. employer-sponsored 401, plan. like 401k a 401k plan. 401k, which is a vital way, which probably is something that Michelle has done, too, to take advantage of the employer match, right? They're giving away free money over there. You better get, you better get some of yours in so that you can get some of your employers. Three out of four said that regular, consistent investing – leads to success. Let's camp out on that for just a second. Hear what Scott just said, regular, consistent investing. They didn't say timing the market. They didn't say finding a hot stock. They didn't say, you know, avoiding a recession. They didn't say any of the things that pop culture tells you you need to be concerned about. What is one of the biggest determinants of someone accumulating wealth and building themselves to a millionaire is just pulling the trigger and doing the things that are necessary to get there, which is putting money away on a regular basis. That sounds so simple, Scott. It's almost like, oh, it can't be that easy, but it is that easy, but it's actually really difficult because Mm -hmm. most people don't do that. Right. When you look at the statistics, Uh, across the country. I was noticing this in the Wall Street Journal the other day. 49% of the population 
get this, 49% of the population have zero money set aside for retirement. Mm. Now, one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to die and it's not going to matter, or you're likely, more than likely going to get old and to the point where you either don't want to or can't work anymore, and you're going to have a real problem. So the fact that that 49% of the people are not doing this says it's not easy or everybody would be doing it. Right. But, but having that consistency over time and that head down, focus, stay with it attitude is how you build wealth. You know, you think about the Nick Saban book, right? His success. He talks about the 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 process. Yes. He talks about the next play. That's right. You don't look at the scoreboard. You know, back to John's point in his in his uh, question earlier. You know, he, he said, well, "How do I know when the market's crazy or not crazy?" You keep your head down and worry about the next play. That's right. And and you know, Saban has built a dynasty doing that in football, and the principles are exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to have that time and consistency in the market. Having a play that you're running on a regular basis, not worrying about what the competition is doing, not worrying about what the market is doing, not worrying about what your uh, buddy next door is doing with their 401k. What are you doing to build your wealth? That's the focus. That's the intensity that is necessary. And frankly, that's why you need to work with a financial advisor, because a financial advisor can be that coach. They can be your Nick Saban, if you will call it, yeah. that come alongside you and, and keep you focused when there's all this noise out there trying to distract you. A couple other notes from that Ramsey solution study about uh, millionaires. Most use a written grocery list while shopping. Now, that may seem kind of random, but what that says to me is they budget, right? They know where their dollars are going. They graduated from public state schools, so they're not uh, going to the big fancy schools. They didn't get any inheritance and they avoided debt. You know, back to that inheritance thing. That's a lot of people too say, hey, if you're a millionaire, you must have been handed it, right? Your, right. your mom and dad were millionaires. Not true. This study of 10,000 millionaires say they were self-made. They probably, you know, I've read the other books before that said they, they had the smallest house on the street and drove the oldest car, right? right? They lived below their means while everybody else was doing the opposite. Scott, I, I need to tell a story here, and I almost hesitate to do this because it's going to sound like that, you know, I'm bragging about the type of car I drive or something of that nature. But I went to lunch the other day at a local restaurant and uh, near the Bryant office, and I was in eating lunch and I knew several people in the, in the restaurant, and somebody said my name. And this lady that was behind the counter uh, looked at me and said, John, can I ask you a question? And I said, sure. And she said, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm one of the owners of Wealth Financial Advisors. And I said, why do you ask? And she said, well, I'm just trying to figure out how you got that car. <laughs> and she'd seen me get out of my car and it is a nice car, but it is 13 years old. I paid cash for it. I stole it almost for, <laughs> you know, the price that I paid for it. And it's 100% debt free. And it was not an exorbitant amount of cash that I spent on it. As a matter of fact, I probably spent less on that than most people spend yeah. on a brand new car. Yeah. And so it's one of those things that, that people think that there's some magic to this, but mm. it really is being very... Uh, frugal with your money, being uh, very intentional about what you're doing in your financial planning, having that written financial plan, a plan to become a millionaire, and then a plan to stay a millionaire. How many people have we seen, and in your time in the industry, which has not been nearly as long as mine, how many people have we seen 
that have become millionaires and then suddenly were not. Yeah, they find a reason to dip into that piggy bank, right? They, yep. they, they, they go in on a spending spree or they make a bad investment outside uh, of their other investments and they can go below that millionaire line. And, and I want to, before we leave this question from Michelle, I want to touch on the question part of this, right? We talked a lot about what she said there, but she says, where do I go from here? And I think the the answer for Michelle is, is where do you want to go, right? You've That's done right. a great job of technically becoming a millionaire, as she said. She's done what she's needed needed to do, but where does she want to go? In other words, how long does Michelle want to work? And what kind of income needs do you have when you want to walk away from work? We talk about it all the time, discovering, protecting, and sharing true financial independence. She needs to know, is she on track to achieve her financial independence, and when? You made a great point at the start of this question, Scott. You talked about that this is, we're talking about Michelle's net worth of being a millionaire. Yeah but not liquid net worth. What Michelle needs to focus on is becoming a liquid net worth millionaire at this point, having a million dollars in liquid assets, uh, because then your net worth is way above a million dollars if you've got a nice house that's paid for. And and those are the things that I think that, that oftentimes people may think that they've, okay, I've arrived, mm-hmm. and they maybe are not, because that nice house is nice to live in, and it's great if it's paid for, but if you need to buy groceries, you're not going to go saw off part of that house and go sell it. You've got to have right. some cash to live on once you're ready to retire. Yeah. And one final note to, to wrap this conversation up, you know, when you talk about where you want to go from here, that that uh, gold standard for years seems to have been reaching millionaire status. Right. But I did just read uh, an article uh, earlier today that said that, that the baby boomer generation is likely to be the last generation in the United States where a million dollars was enough. Yeah. You, you may need more. Yeah. It, this, this article estimated that millennials are going to need three to five. And when you think about inflation, when you think about what we've gone through in the last couple of years of uh, the cost of goods going up, services going up, it's not, it's not a stretch to think about needing more than a million dollars if you're younger right now saving for retirement. That just makes it more important for you to put your head down, run the play, do the things that are necessary, the, the, the non-sexy things that are necessary for you to get to financial independence. This, by the way, if you couldn't tell, we enjoyed Michelle's question. It's going to be our question of the week. So congratulations to Michelle. Thank you for reaching out with your question. We'd love to send you a free Get ready for the future show Tumblr, which we are sporting on the desk today. Check that out. Very nice. Yep. Uh, and she can send us uh, her email, and we can send, or she can send us an email uh, to show at getreadyforthefuture.com to claim that prize. And you can be next. If you send us a question and we use it on the air and we call it our question of the week, we name it the question of the week, you'll get a Get Ready for the Future show Tumblr. So get those questions to us at 501 381 Five two, two eight. Next up is Paul from Texarkana. We're getting closer to the end of the year, and I know I've got a bonus coming up in late December. I'm 55 and have $600,000 saved for retirement and a little under $50,000 left on my mortgage. I've maxed out my Roth contributions already, so I can't drop the bonus money there. I still have some wiggle room to invest more in my employer plan, but should I do that? or put the bonus toward paying down my mortgage. Thanks, Paul, and a great uh, question from you and a great decision point for you. In fact, there's a lot of variables that we have to figure out here, but you, 
you know, for Paul to determine where to drop this bonus money, John, I think he needs to know which side of the equation needs it the most. Yeah, I think the the first question we would ask is, when are you planning to retire? You mentioned that you're 55, but are you going to retire at 60 or 65? That makes a big difference uh, because you have more accumulation years if you retire at 65 as opposed to 60. So you may need that bonus dropped into your retirement program. If you can drop all of it in there, that would be the route to go if you're going to retire early. If you're going to retire later, then maybe you want to go ahead and get that house paid for, which would free up more cash for you to be able to save and invest toward that uh, goal of being becoming financially independent. I would say maybe you do both. Maybe you pay, take part of this and pay down your house and take part of it and put into your retirement plan. Because, Scott, you want to reach retirement age to have the assets to retire financially independent, but you also want to be debt-free because yep. if you are if you still have debt, then you're going to have to peel off part of that retirement income to pay for that debt. Yeah, the relationship here is completely assets linked to income. What kind of retirement income will your assets produce? So Paul is thinking, well, do I put it towards growing the assets or do I put it towards the income side? Because if you, you eliminate that mortgage, which by the way, we would generally be a proponent of being completely debt-free, including the mortgage, upon your retirement date. Doesn't always work out that way, but if you can plan in your pre-retirement years to knock that thing out, you now have less required income that you need when you actually walk away from work, and that can make your assets go a lot farther. Because when we think about what you're going to have to pay in expenses, that has to be met with guaranteed income, right? And Social Security is not likely going to be enough if there's a mortgage in play. Yeah, I would also say, Paul, uh, this would be a great opportunity for you to get a retirement income plan together. And and a retirement income plan is more than just investments. You're looking at your entire financial situation. This is what we do day in and day out at GenWealth. We sit down with people, we go through uh, all of their financial information, we put together a written plan that helps them to make these decisions about where should I put lump sum of money like this? What do I need to do now to be sure and, and stack all the cards in my favor. Again, I'll use that phrase that uh, give me the best chance at arriving at my retirement date debt-free and financially independent. A lot of it depends on the numbers. A lot of it depends on where you're at now and what kind of income you want to have and all of those types of things. But there are answers to those complex questions. It just takes a little bit of time to come in and sit down with a Gen Wealth advisor, and we can certainly help you with that. Maybe you're like Paul and you have 600000 saved for retirement. Maybe you got more, maybe you got less, but you need to know your income. You know you have assets. You need to know your income. And getting a retirement income plan is as easy as picking up the phone and calling 866-653-PLAN. You can do that right now, 866 653 to begin walking through the GenWealth ready-to-retire process to know your income and not just your assets. Our final question on the Get Ready for the Future show today is from Ashley in Little Rock. What are y'all's thoughts? We know she's from Little Rock. <laughs> what are y'all's thoughts on deferred compensation plans? Since the funds are transferred to the ownership of the company and simply promise to be paid out in the future, say it's for a company like Walmart, can you talk about whether deferring places you in a lower tax bracket. Deferring does definitely place you in a lower tax bracket, but let's understand this for what it is. It looks and feels a little bit like a 401k plan, but a 401k is actually put into trust 
outside the employer's control. It's held in trust and you own the money in the 401k plan, especially your contributions. Now, there may be some vesting on your employer contributions, depending on your plan, but your money in that 401k plan is owned by you. In a deferred compensation plan, it's different, as you've alluded to in in your question here from Ashley. Uh, Ashley, a deferred compensation plan is the property of the business until they pay it out to you. Now, why is that important? It's important because if the business is financially shaky, then your deferred uh, compensation plan may be financially shaky. You may have two or $300,000 of deferred compensation, meaning that you haven't taken it in the form of a paycheck. You've simply deferred it and put it on record that they owe you that money. But again, if the finances aren't there to provide for that deferred compensation at some point in time on the part of the company, that's where you run into trouble. Now, Deferred compensation, Scott, does keep you out of, uh, theoretically at least, a higher tax bracket because you're only sent a W-2 on what you actually take possession of. Deferred compensation is just that. Taxes on that are deferred down the road. Yeah, and the idea here is to access the money when your income is lower than it is now, right? You get it in retirement. You defer your income now, and then you get it sent back to you in retirement. Now, that is not necessarily the way it works out when you think about the real world application of this because typically there are rules tied to those payouts, right? We've That's seen right. people that have to get it over a five-year period uh, and they and once they select their choice, if there is a choice, it's, it's on autopilot and you can't stop it. That's right. You don't have a whole lot of control about when you take that money. That is determined by the deferred compensation plan in most cases. I've had some fairly highly compensation uh, compensated clients that had to take theirs over a five-year period. Mm-hmm. And, it, and we just stopped taking any withdrawals from their retirement account when that period came because they're going to be taxed on that money from the deferred compensation plan. There's no use in pouring gasoline on the fire. <laughs> right. uh, you, you want to, to obviously plan for this in the right way. And again, it does take some planning. And so I would say for, for uh, Ashley, a great thing to do would be to sit down and, and have a retirement income plan created. Understand the, the risk that you take, because eventually you've got to get down to the fact that what you're doing is you're investing in the company that you work for, yeah. because the company is going to deliver that plan. Now, you're also investing probably in portfolios of mutual funds or something like that. But in reality, you're investing in what the company says they're going to pay you sometime in the future. Yeah, definitely a benefit in the near term on the tax deferral side may not be a benefit in retirement on the tax deferral side, depending on the rules of the payout of that deferred comp. And you mentioned, you know, the the company and, and you've put the risk there is, is the the uh, the uh, sustainability of that company. She actually mentioned Walmart as an example. You know, Walmart you don't think it's going anywhere. It's right. probably not, but it's a top five company uh, in terms well, of size and capital, number one in terms of revenue. Yep. But, but anything's possible in look, corporate America. Look, Jeff Bezos, the CEO, uh, the chairman of, of Amazon, is on record as saying, I predict one day Amazon will fail. Amazon will go bankrupt. Now, he explained that the lifespan of large companies typically span about 30 plus years, not 100 plus years. So uh, the, let's be very clear. Failure is unlikely. It's never impossible. So you have to take that into account in terms of the risk profile that you're taking on. 
if you are working for, I don't know, a mom and pop operation and they want to put in a deferred comp plan, you have to assess whether mom and pop are going to be around and, and going to uh, the uh, sustainability of that business is going to be around to be able to deliver that deferred comp to you at a time when you want and need to take that compensation. And I'd drop in one final thought on this too. If you're trying to build up more savings for retirement, if you're in a year or two out time frame from actually retiring, you may need to be thinking about piling that up in cash, putting it into after-tax bank savings, right, to get through those first years uh, of a, if you need the income, uh, because that's always a great source to not have to uh, worry about market volatility on the money you're spending in the first year or two of retirement. You heard the bell agree. there. Uh, it's time for our final thoughts. John, we'll start with you. Well, you know, Scott, I, I want to go back to your analogy of the football coach, Nick Saban, and, and, and the process and having a plan all of these questions that we've dealt with today really do come back to that central truth that if you have a process, if you have a plan, and at Gen Wealth we call it the Gen Wealth Ready to Retire process because it is a process that we put our clients through to get them ready for retirement. And if you're already retired, that process works for you as well. If you are uh, doing something happenstance as far as withdrawals from your 401k plan or something of that to sustain your, your income in retirement, but you don't have a written plan, that's what you need because all of these questions, all these concerns, all these worries about what may be going on with a crazy market or whatever the case may be, you go right back to your plan and you run that play. The consistency of that is what helps you to grow and to protect and to eventually be able to share your financial independence. And that's all the time we have for this week's show. I want to say thanks to John, to Michelle, to Paul and Ashley for their questions this week. Get yours to us, 501-381-5228. If we use it on the air, you get a free Get Ready for the Future show Tumblr. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Get Ready for the Future show. If you enjoy hearing from the Gen Wealth team every week, make sure and subscribe to the podcast. And you can always find us on social media. Search for Gen Wealth Financial Advisors on Facebook or on Twitter at Gen Wealth FA. The Gen Wealth Financial team is available to you 24 7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com or call our offices at 866 653 PLAN. That's 866 653 7526. You should personally consult a financial advisor before making any investment, and no strategy can assure success. Securities offered through LP. PL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Independent Advisor Alliance. Independent Advisor Alliance and GenWealth Financial Advisors are separate entities from LPL Financial. 